We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. So last Saturday, we put out part one of a conversation with Mike Richmond, the author that has written the book on George Allen called George Allen, A Football Life. Uh, Mike's been an author for a while. Mike has written several books about the Washington franchise, including the Redskins Encyclopedia and a book about uh, Joe Gibbs. You can find all of his books, including his new book, uh, and a signed copy of his new book is available at MikeRichmanJournalist.com. But we put out part one of the conversation that talked about George Allen's life leading up to the moment he arrived in Washington in 1971. So that's the part I'm putting out today. Uh, It is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, you'll get a free estimate, and you'll get access to their current deal, which is 0% interest for five years plus buy two, get two free, so you're paying half price on the windows, 866-90-NATION and windownation.com. Window Nation, thank you uh, for being the presenting sponsor of this podcast. So I'm going to pick up from where we left off a week ago. If you haven't listened to part one, it's available. You can just get it uh, by going back to Saturday, November 4th, and looking at that show uh, entitled uh, George Allen, A Football Life. Uh, But this is part two of my conversation with Mike, and we picked up with George Allen arriving in Washington. So now we're at the 71 season. Allen is the head coach, general manager. He's built Redskin Park. He's gone after, you know, the future is now was, you know, sort of the motto of the day. And he goes and 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 just starts acquiring players, using draft choices. What was like the first of the big offseason moves? His very first acquisition is... I would say not only his first major acquisition, but his first acquisition was Billy Kilmer. He got he got Billy Kilmer from the Saints. Yep. And Kilmer was was um, signed as a backup to Sonny Jurgensen. And I talked to Bruce about this. George Allen, the whole time, thought Sonny Jurgensen was going to be a starting quarterback. So Kilmer was going to be a backup to Jurgensen. Now Kilmer didn't didn't like that at all. Uh, but but Jurgensen was going to be the starter, and it so happened that Jurgensen 
injured his shoulder in a preseason game against the Dolphins in 71. So that's when Kilmer was tapped as a starter. But Jurgensen the whole way was going to be the starter on that team, and Allen was very, very excited about that. I mean, to have a quarterback the caliber of Sonny Jurgensen, who even even though I think he was 36 years old at the time, he was still in his prime as a a great quarterback. So, but then it so happened he, he... had a shoulder injury in the 71 preseason, and, and Kilmer came on and, and quarterbacked the team for most of that year. Uh, Sonny did, did um, play in a few games toward the end of the season, but he got injured again. So that was basically Kilmer's team throughout 71. Right. So, you know, he also acquired a lot of players from the Rams, several players like from the, the Rams. The Ramskins. Yeah, the Ramskins. And that was, that was led by, you know, Jack Pardee, right? Hardy, Patios, uh, Dyron Talbert, um, Jeff George, uh, and, uh, Jeff, um, uh, the special teams player, he was, he was one of them. Uh, I think. Tommy Mason. Tommy Mason. What, oh, what, Galler. what about Pettibone? Pettibone came on later. He okay. wasn't. He wasn't part of the initial acquisition package. But he was. But he, but he was on that seventy-one team. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. They, he came on um, in the spring. He was, he was a Ramskin, definitely, but he, he wasn't part of that initial uh, group of, of Rams players that came over. But, yes, he was, Pettibone was on that 71 team. In fact, he had uh, three interceptions in the, in the first season game. opening win over the Cardinals yeah, that year. Right. So that year, I mean, it starts off on fire. You already mentioned week three against the Cowboys. They went 5-0. and their defense was dominant, right? I mean, do you think he was surprised by the early results? Or, you know, was it expected? Like, what? here's what I don't know. What was expected from his first team in Washington before the year started? Well, when Sonny went down, he, he predicted a a winning season, but he tempered expectations after, after Sonny went down. I, he was predicting like a... Like an eight and six record, yeah. the fourteen game season back then. It was saying eight and six. You know, we'll be happy with that. So you could say there was there was a bit of a surprise on, on his part. Now about that, the start of that seventy one season, the NFL scheduled the Redskins to play their first three games against NFC East opponents on the road. Uh-huh. Allen thought, and this is uh, Bruce told me this. They thought that that was a conspiracy on the part of. P. Roselle and Tech Schramm, because those two knew each other, and they were they were close from back in their days with the Los Angeles Rams in the seventies. Roselle was the PR director for the Rams. Uh, Schramm was a uh, he was an executive. He was in the front office, so they knew each other from back there in their days with the Rams in the fifties. So when Schramm, and fast forward to seventy one, Schramm was in the the Cowboys front office and, and Roselle was the NFL commissioner. Um, so Allen, George Allen thought that that was a, an agreement on the part of Schramm and Roselle to schedule those first three games on the road against NFC's opponents. It so happened they won those three games. Uh, they won their first five games that year, as you alluded to. And, um, and what, what really hurt them, though, in, um, in the next game, the following week against the Chiefs, which was their first loss, they lost, they lost Charlie Taylor right. to injury that year. Yeah. He was having a phenomenal season. 
Yeah, that game's actually um, available on YouTube. Like the, uh, well, it's the NFL Films version, not the actual game. The, the the Rams game that year, you can actually watch it as the as it was called by the Monday Night Crew. But um, that Chiefs game, what's interesting to me is that that was like that was a big game, you know, in the NFL season at that point because those were the Hank Stram Chiefs, the Len Dawson, Otis Taylor, all of their Hall of Famers on defense. And Washington went out there and like you said, they they were up in the game and Charlie Taylor broke his leg. I think it was on a touchdown catch. And Right, and um the person that made the tackle, the player that made the tackle was Emmett Emmett Thomas. Emmett Thomas. Wow. Who was later an assistant God. on the on the Redskins at the same time Charlie Taylor was an assistant. So uh yeah, Emmett Thomas tackled Charlie Taylor at the time he was lunging into the end zone on a touchdown reception. They lost Charlie Taylor for the season. That really set them back. Um, Allen acquired a guy, a receiver named Clifton McNeil, who's a decent receiver. He got it from the Giants, but he wasn't a Charlie Taylor. And uh, But Roy Jefferson really stepped up. He had, that was one of Allen's offseason acquisitions, veteran players. Um, he stepped up. He had a great year. In 71, he caught uh, two touchdown passes in that Monday night win over the the Rams, the George Allen Bowl, the game that you referred to yep. just before, which was Allen's return to Los Angeles, um, that Monday night game. So, but they didn't have enough offensive firepower. I mean, the the offense was really, really struggling for a, a large stretch uh, in that season. But yeah. um, uh, they finished nine four one in seventy one and went to the first round of the playoffs, losing to the the Forty Niners. Yeah, they lost to the Forty Niners. Uh, Interestingly, Steve Spurrier was the punter for the 49ers that day. Um, but the but the Rams game that year, for, for those that don't know anything about that first team, so he is now in his first year in Washington, and there's a Monday night football game in the second year of Monday night football scheduled for late in the season in the Coliseum against the Rams. So it's George Allen back in the Coliseum, and the game was essentially for a playoff break for Washington, and they went Correct. in there yeah. and they won the game and, by the way, had the biggest offensive output, I think, of the year because you said they were struggling on offense, but they won that game 38-24. to That is correct. Um, well, one of the touchdowns came on Speedy Duncan's uh, interception return, okay. uh, but they, they, put, they played well enough on, offensively in that game uh, in the first half to, to really hold on to it in uh, – yeah, they held on to the lead late. The Rams made a, a run toward the end of the game. But that was a really – that was arguably George Allen's greatest regular season victory. Uh, he, it was a revenge game for him. Right. He wanted to get back at the Rams for those two firings. Now, Dan Reeves actually had passed away oh. several months prior, so he wasn't at the game. But there were still Rams front office, front office executives who were part of that Rams team. He wanted to gain revenge, and he certainly did. I mean, uh, that 38-24 win was big. And back in those days, as you know, Monday Night Football was a big deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, you would you would have those games penciled on your calendar. Uh, who was playing on Monday night? Because, I mean, everybody would be, you know, gathering around the TV sets in your in your family room watching it back then. So Monday Night Football, and it was, they were only in their third season. Uh, and, you know, the team of Howard Cosell and, and Gifford and Don Meredith. I mean, they made it special too. Have you seen but, that game? So, it's it's available on YouTube, just as yes, it was called. I have seen it. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I have seen it, yes, it's pretty cool. Uh, and I remember what. Uh, yeah, oh, it absolutely is. I remember one play. I remember uh, a lot of that game, but one play distinctly sticks out because 
it was that touchdown run by Larry Brown at the end of the first half. Yeah. Charlie Haraway, the blocking back, I'm sure you've seen this, he threw this crunching block right. that set Brown free to score. It was a fourth and one play. They tried four straight runs with, with Brown to get him into the end zone. They got in on the fourth try. Charlie Haraway, who was a great blocking back and was really a decent runner, too, right. as a fullback, he threw one of the greatest blocks I've ever seen. And I also mention this because um, a few months later, I had Charlie. My father owned a men's clothing store in Rockville. And as a promo, we had Charlie Haraway there signing autographs. So, because uh, one of my father's customers was Brig Owens, and so mm. he got uh, Haraway to show up oh, wow. for that that promo. Yeah, that that's a memory that's never going to yeah. go away. Um, so they go to the playoffs. They they they've got the Forty ers Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the game where Richard Nixon suggests the reverse. Uh, play and, and draws it up, and Allen actually called it during the game, and it did not work out well. Am I right about that or not? That is correct. Uh, Jefferson was dropped for about a ten yard loss, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, it was it was an end around or reverse or however, however you want to call it. Um, but just to that, I explained that play fully in the book. I, I really did a deep dive. Um, that play was an, initially Allen's idea from from its genesis. It was Allen's idea. He fed that play to Nixon at the time that Nixon came to Redskins Park. And Nixon came to Redskins Park around Thanksgiving of that season. The Redskins were struggling. I think they, uh, they had gone winless in, uh, in three straight games. Uh, it was two losses and a tie. And so Al- uh, Nixon uh, called George Allen and said, hey, I'd like to come out and give a pep talk to the team. And, you know, being friends with George Allen, as, as we've talked about earlier, uh, Allen said, sure, we'd love to have you. So Nixon came to Redskins Park and, and gave the team a pep talk uh, at that time. So to make Nixon look like like he was really astute as a you know a football mind, and he was anyway. Yeah. Allen fed him that play, and it's one of the plays that Nixon called in in that in the practices that day. He also called like a, a screen pass to Haraway. Uh-huh. Um, but that play later, you know, in the ensuing weeks, uh, Nixon called George Allen. And he also spoke to Billy Kilmer about this, and um, uh, he he said, uh, uh, "Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like, to, I'd like you to run that play in the if you make the playoffs." So, sure enough, uh, that play was called. Now, I don't think that was actually George Allen who called the play. I think that play was sent in from the sidelines by Ted Marchabroda, right. who was the offensive coordinator at the time. And I, I wrote about this. Yeah. Uh, but why they called that play? at that very time, is, is really a mystery in itself. Why? What was I mean, the they time? A, they were, it's like a first and first and ten, they were on the, about the 49ers' 12-yard line. So why call that type of play when you're so close to the goal line? I mean, I, and also, George Allen being such a conservative-minded coach, right. I'm sure his, his staff, you know, was, was in lockstep with that. Why, why call that play at that particular time? So Cedric Hardman, the 49ers defensive end, dropped Jefferson for a major loss. And then to add insult to injury, um, the snap was low on the field goal attempt. And so, so Kurt uh, Knight Kurt, missed the Kurt, field goal. Yeah. Um, so they went into the halftime with no points on that possession. They, they were still up 10-3, to but it was a major downer. And the 49ers came back in the second half and won that game. Yeah. Uh, was but a... that's the whole story behind that play. So, Interesting. You know, the story, like, did Nixon really call the play? Well, he, no, he didn't phone it in from the Oval Office or anything like that. Yeah.
By the way, um, in 71, those that are familiar with sort of uniforms, uh, it was the second year of the helmet with the R on it, which was the Lombardi design, right? Because he wanted it to be, you know, somewhat similar to the Packers helmet. And then George Allen decided to change the helmet. Do I have that right? He, George Allen was instrumental in the change. Uh, there was a Native American who was right. very fond of uh, George Allen. Uh, he actually followed the Redskins. It was uh, Walter Blackie Wetzel. Right. He had been chair of the National Congress of, or president of the National Congress of American Indians. So he was very familiar with D.C. I'm, sh- I'm sure he, he came here a lot. Um, so he knew the team, and he approached George Allen before the 1972 season. He said, listen, I don't like the R on the helmet. Let's do let's do something different. So Alan said, "Well, what what would you like? You know, give me an idea. Come back with something." So they came up with a composite of the uh, helmet logo that was later um, used on the helmets, was implanted on the helmets, and that existed for nearly a half century. Um, so, but that's how that that whole story came about. It was it was originally the Native American Walter Blackie Wetzel who approached Alan about it, and then Alan concurred. And then they had the, the helmet uh, logo that existed for, for uh, nearly 50 years. I also want to say that, that George Allen, he had his own affinity for, for Native Americans. I mean, dating back to when he's with the Chicago Bears, I mean, he started his own uh, athletic fund for, uh, for Native Americans on a particular reser- reservation, the Oglala Locata Sioux Tribe uh, in South Dakota. It was called the Red Cloud Athletic Fund. So... He, um, you know, it was close to his heart, yeah. you know, the, the fate of, of uh, American Indians. So uh, when Wetzel approached him, I'm sure, you know, thoughts went through Alan's mind that, you know, hey, you know, this is right up my alley. This is something I'd really like to do. All right. So 72 um, is the second year. So he takes him to the playoffs, loses to the 49ers. 72 turns out to be the year that... You know, they they won the division, they went to the Super Bowl, lost to the Dolphins famously in Super Bowl seven after beating the Cowboys in the NFC title game on New Year's Eve nineteen seventy two. But Kilmer's the starting quarterback at the beginning of that season. Uh, they play, they opened that that year on Monday night football in Minnesota against the Vikings. So why wasn't Sonny the starter? Uh Allen gave them both opportunities in the preseason. I think Kilmer was going to be the starter all along, even though their numbers were very comparable in the preseason. Kilmer started the first half of the six preseason games. By the way, they, they played the six exhibition games back then. Sonny right. played the second half. They both had really, really good statistics. But when all was said and done, Allen, I mean, he, he favored Kilmer at the time. I mean, Kilmer had court. I, I quoted him as saying in the book that. Uh, uh, you know, Kilmer, Billy Kilmer led us through most of the 1971 season. I want to stick with him. Uh, so he started Kilmer uh, entering the, the 72 season. Right. But, but right, that, they, beat, they beat the Vikings. Yeah, they beat the Vikings, but they lost that very controversial game to New England, which was an, a big upset at the time. And was it after that game that he decided to go with Sonny? Exactly, yes. He, uh, well, they actually they won the second game of the year against the Cardinals. And then they, so they were 2-0 heading into that Patriots game. They lost to the Patriots. That was very, very controversial. Right. I mean, if, if instant replay had existed then. They would have won the game. I think the, Red, the Redskins would have had two more touchdowns. First of all, Roy Jefferson caught a pass. He clearly had both feet in bounds. 
okay, that pass was ruled incomplete. Then, toward the end of the game, in what is probably the most controversial the block safety punt. in NFL yeah. history, you know about Malinchek recovered. It looked like he was in, in the end zone when he recovered the ball. Uh, but then he slid out the back of the end zone. They ruled out a safety. Right. So, in the end, the Redskins lost that game 24-23. to So, if instant replay had existed back then, I, they would have had at least one more touchdown and would have won that game. But um, so yeah, then he tapped Sonny after that game. He just was was getting uh, you know a lot of heat. People were saying you know, Kilmer Kilmer didn't have the greatest stats in that loss to the Patriots. He threw several interceptions. So you know there was a lot of rumbling going on that hey you know it's time for Sonny to start. It was coming from the fans. It was coming from the, the media. So sure enough, Allen tapped uh, Sonny to start heading into the third week of that season. And they went on a run, and, I mean, eventually he tore his Achilles uh, in Yankee Stadium against the Giants, but but he was the starting quarterback for the first, uh, you know, for a huge Cowboys game early in that season at RFK. And, and you know, yeah. Right, well, that was, a, that was a huge win. Yeah, they beat the Cowboys 24-20 to at RFK Stadium that day. Yeah. And, in fact, Nixon and Allen spoke, they spoke after the game. Alan, Alan talked. You know, we we, we talked about how the this, the stands at RFK Stadium would shake. We talked about that all the time during the Joe Gibbs era. Right. But that was actually true during the George Allen era too. Right. And that was something that that Allen relayed to to Nixon in that phone conversation, which interestingly is part of the uh, the Watergate tapes. Oh yeah, that's right. I knew that Allen was on some of those Watergate tapes. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, playing coaching in the Coliseum in front of an LA kind of laid back crowd. Did he love sort of how raucous and how you know incredibly electric the environment was at RFK? Because it had to be completely different than the Coliseum. Oh, well, it was it was like night and day, and I'm glad you referred to the the way the Coliseum was in L.A. because this goes back to one of your previous questions about you know Allen being a star in L.A. They didn't sell out those games at the Coliseum, right? Even though even though Allen was such a you know he, he was winning, he had these great winning records year after year. They weren't selling out those games, and this of course uh, you know a factor in that too is what we touched on before. There were other pro teams in the city at the time, and there were other great college teams. So, but yeah, when he got to D.C., the Redskins were the only show in town. Basically, well, the Senators moved right at that very time right. when the '71 season started, and there was no the Bullets weren't there at the time, and hockey hadn't hadn't started yet. No, DC. Maryland Maryland so, basketball by far and away was the number two story in town. Yes, it was. I actually wrote about that. I wrote about Lefty, uh, you know, saying that hey, you know, we're going to be the UCLA of the East. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> But Maryland basketball, right, they were the number two sports story in town at the time. Yeah. But uh, there were no other pro teams that, that were, were competing with the Redskins for fan interest. Right. None. I mean, the, the Bullets showed up in, in 73, you know, um, and that was uh, two years after Allen got here. So back to the 72 season. You know, they go 11-3. and three. Uh, Larry Brown's the, you know, the, the, the offensive player of the year. Their defense is lights out. Um, they play the Packers Christmas Eve, 1972. George Allen's never won a playoff game. This is not the Lombardi Packers, okay, everybody. This is uh, this is the Dan Devine Packers. I think was the uh, was the was the coach at the time. 
Tell me about what he, the defense that he employed against the Packers. Wasn't that the game that they they put they had a five man defensive front to stop John uh, John Brockington, who was the running back? Right, Brockington and MacArthur Lane. And MacArthur the Packers Lane. had had a really good backfield in those two guys. I mean, it was like a uh, a '70s version of the of the bull elephant backfield. Uh, so, but they their their quarterback was was really bad. Scott Hunter. Yeah. Was the quarterback at the time? He was. He was really. He was just like. It was. It was like mediocre, if not worse. He was just a bad quarterback. So Allen, you know, he, he smelled dominance on on the defensive line. So he packed it in on the line. He had five guys rushing the quarterback, and and they they certainly took advantage of of, uh, of the quarterback. And but not only that, I mean, they shut down Lane and um, and Brockington. I mean, the the Packers. Did virtually nothing on offense that game, and and the Redskins they won sixteen to three, but they they basically dominated that game. Yeah, uh, Kilmer had a, he had a very he had a gorgeous touchdown pass to, to Roy Jefferson. Kurt Knight kicked three field goals. They also got a very nice kickoff return after the Packers took their three nothing lead. They got a, a nice kickoff return from a player named Herb Mulkey. Yeah, of course. Allen had these free agent tryout camps. You know, anybody off the street could come. Yep. And, and try out. So he had this, this tryout camp. I believe he found Mulkey at one of those camps at Georgetown University. And it was an off-season uh, tryout camp. Mulkey had played a semi-pro ball in the Atlanta area. Um, and then uh, they saw his speed in camp, which back then I think he ran like a uh, maybe like a 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, 40, which back for those days was, was pretty fast. Right. Maybe even been a little faster, maybe 4-3. So, um uh, they signed him, and, and sure enough, he he produced. I mean, not only that kickoff return, but late in the '72 season, he had a great game offensively and on special teams in a uh, a loss to the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Didn't, he had like more than like two. Didn't he that yeah, like 200, year? Two hundred eighty yards of total. Uh, didn't he make his name though in the preseason in the first ever game? At Buffalo's, um, or, you know, in a uh, new stadium in Orchard Park, didn't he return the opening kickoff for a touchdown? That was the first play ever at that stadium, which, by the way, still exists today. Wasn't that how he made the team, or am I thinking of something else? Um, I am going to plead ignorance on that. Okay. I, I that does not. Does, you may be very right about that, but I, I I'm not. Uh, I'm okay. not certain of that. I think in terms of regular season when he first. He first uh, came on the scene was in that game against the Cowboys in the next last game of the '72 season. He had like 280 yards of total production uh, wow. on offense and special teams. You know, monster kick returns, and uh, he was uh, running, rushing the ball, catching passes. So that's when he when he first made a name for himself uh, when he first caught the the coach's eye. In, he, was, he wasn't going to supplant Larry Brown as the lead running back, uh, for sure. All right, uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll get to the most significant game, I'm pretty sure, in the George Allen tenure in D.C. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cowboys NFC title game, New Year's Eve 1972. Uh, You know, this is the rivalry... I know that you know the game in '71 when they won in the Cotton Bowl and they came back and everybody was thrilled. And when did Allen really start to pump up the rivalry with the Cowboys? When he, I would say he really. I mean, on, on the intensity meter, it um, it went up a few, like it skyrocketed when he came to Washington in 1971. He just, first of all, he he had an antipathy for the Cowboys going back to to the days when they, they played them in the, in the 60s. Yep. And also, they, they scrimmaged the Cowboys. When he coached the Rams, they scrimmaged the Cowboys in Thousand Oaks, California. But he, he still, back in those days, he thought they got favoritism from the league. But then, uh, when they were in the same division, when he, when he came to Washington in 71, I mean, they, he just intensified the rivalry several fold. Um, yeah, he, he just had this dislike for the Cowboys and their front office and their, you know, their, you know, uh, their corporate image, which even they had back then. I mean, they weren't known as America's team yet. Right. But Tom Landry had had um, uh, given them that that type of personality as a team. You know, with, with the uh, with the flex defense and that uh, you know the formation lining up on offense. Offense, uh, yeah, where the li- linemen yeah, yeah. would so, go up and then down. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. They had they had this. Uh, a very cerebral image, and uh, just Alan, Alan didn't like that. You know, it just he was like you know this rah rah guy, this rah rah coach. You know, uh, three cheers for the Redskins, and so he was the exact opposite of Tom Landry. And you know, the, all these factors played into the rivalry. And when you know, at the end, uh, Allen beat Landry more times than any other coach. He beat him ten times in head to head competition. Um, Allen had a ten and ten record against him. By the end of his career, including Los Angeles, including Los Angeles, yeah. Of uh, his three top coaching rivals, uh, his three top coaching rivals were Landry, in this order. But Landry, Shula, and Lombardi, and Shula was was his primary rival when when he was in L.A. He didn't. He only played him one time. Uh, he played him twice when he was in D.C. He played him in the Super Bowl and then in the in a '74 regular season game. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh... I think he was 500 against them here. Against um, the Cowboys. Um, I overall, I, I think you're correct. Yes, the record in DC. Well, it couldn't have been 500 because they would have played. Um, they would have played 71, 77, so 14, and then 15 times. So it was, you know, including the NFC Championship game. Whatever, it's not important. The import- it was close to it. It was close. Yeah. To it. I think the Cowboys may have had an edge. It record-wise, when Allen was in D.C., but over overall through through the years, yeah. he had a ten and ten record against uh, 
So does everybody in Allen's life say that the win over the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game is his greatest win? Oh, that was his crowning moment as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you can't deny that. That was his – that was their Super Bowl win, basically. Uh, they – beating the Cowboys that day with everything going into the game, the, the two teams were trading uh, accusations in the days leading up to the game. I mean – uh, Dyron Talbert, who was Allen's right-hand man for, for getting under the Cowboys' skin. I mean, he was saying stuff. He was saying, uh, oh, Roger Staubach, um, you know, he can't read defenses. Roger Staubach wears skirts. Yeah, right. so, they were throwing that stuff around. And then back in those days, I mean, they didn't care if it got into the papers, you know, to, to rile the other team up. So, um, yeah, they, they, there was a tremendous hatred uh, both teams had for each other. Uh, they thought there was dirty play on both sides. So that win over the Cowboys was Allen's biggest win uh, as a head coach in the NFL. I mean, uh, you could say that if they had beaten the Dolphins, that would have been his biggest win. But uh, as you know, they came up short in that game. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many stories told about that game. Um, net it out for me. Were they burnt out, you know, after two weeks and after, you know, you know, nightly curfews and everything? A lot of those players over the years have said, you know, it wasn't exactly fun when they got to the game. And that's exactly right. I mean, even the first week when they were, were practicing at Redskins Park, he practiced it. He, he, he went really hard with them. I mean, they... It was like, you know, his regular practices that week. And even when they got to Los Angeles, he was putting them through some, some really rigorous practices. So by the time they got, by the time of the opening kickoff, they were burned out at the time. I mean, uh, Terry Hermeling told me that. Uh, uh, Brig Owens told me that. Uh, uh, so, yeah. But, uh, you know, when all is said and done, I mean, the Redskins were, were not far away from winning that game. I mean, they had a chance. They had a final possession. They right. were down 14-7. to 7. If they had been able to put together a drive at the end, I mean, I think there was more than a minute left when they had possession. I think they were out of timeouts. Yeah. Well, and they, they weren't able to muster a drive. But um, Well, the touchdown pass, it would have been a touchdown pass to Jerry Smith hit the crossbar on one of those drives. Right, and the goalposts at the time were on, on the goal line. Yeah, exactly. So, so the goalposts, I mean, if it had been like today, that pass, I mean, that would not have happened. That would have been a touchdown. Um, there were other strange plays in that game. Kilmer had a touchdown pass to Charlie Taylor. Taylor was wide open at the goal line. This was in the second half. Taylor tripped at the goal line Yeah. as he was lunging for that pass. So it was just, I mean, they had a lot of bad luck that day. And, uh, I mean, there was also a touchdown that the Dolphins scored that was called back. It was like a, you know, Greasy threw like a 50-yard pass to Paul Warfield that was called back. So... Um, I don't think the Dolphins played their best game, but I don't think that. I mean, I don't think that seventeen and zero Dolphins team. Would you say, despite their record, that they were on par with one of the greatest NFL teams of all time? No, no. I th- I mean, in fact, a lot of the rankings of the all time great teams and Super Bowl winners, the the seventy two Dolphins are rarely at the top of that list. Um, yeah, I certainly, I certainly would not put them in that category either. I mean. Uh, they nearly lost that play- their first round playoff game to the, or I think it was their uh, AFC Championship game to the Steelers. Well, yeah, so they, they were had behind to, at halftime. They had to play it on the road because of what you said earlier. It was not based on record; it was based on rotating, 
you know, sort of divisional venues. And, and Pittsburgh, as the team that had a worse record, hosted that, that, that AFC title game. By the way, thank God, the, right. thank God the NFC East. Well, the Cowboys were a wild card team. Actually, I don't know the answer to this. The Cowboys beat the, um, the 49ers in an upset uh, in the divisional round, which is why they came as the wild card team to RFK for the NFC Championship game. If the 49ers had won that, do you have any idea where the NFC Championship game would have been? I do not know. That's, that's a very good question. I, I do not. Because it was not based on record back, back then. It was rotating, you know, d- d- divisions that, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if I mean that that would I have been. I had an answer. I can you imagine <laughs> if they had to go back to San Francisco for the NFC Championship game? Well, it all worked out. Um, moving forward through the rest of Allen's time here, is there? Do you know if there's a loss other than the Super Bowl that really that, that was really painful for him? Because to me, there's one game in particular that costs them a playoff spot. And I wonder if there's, you know, a loss that, that he, you know, really burned over. Oh, absolutely. It was the Clint Longley game. I mean, that The Allen family will never forget that game. They'll never live that game down. I mean, you had a, a rookie quarterback come in. He had no experience playing in the NFL. He comes in, uh, and, and as you probably know, I mean, defenses, they, they had no tape on him. They hadn't scouted him at all. So the Redskins defense wasn't prepared for him. Uh, he lit it up. I mean, he threw a touchdown pass to Billy Joe Dupree. Uh, he threw that uh, game-ending touchdown pass to Drew Pearson. Uh, and the Cowboys won that game 24-23. to That game will go down as George Allen's greatest regular season loss. Or it is down as George Allen's greatest regular season loss. I mean, that was just that was a hard loss to swallow. Uh, and as Charlie Taylor told me in an interview, I mean, when they were up in that game, uh, um, and they, they had like a two-touchdown lead at right. one point, they, they could literally smell the turkey. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, losing, that game, losing that game was just really, really, really hard to swallow for, for George Allen. But that is, as far as a regular season loss, that was really, really painful. You know, what's interesting about that loss is it cost them ultimately the best record in the NFC, and they ended up being a wild card team, and they had to go to the Coliseum to face the Rams in the postseason. They had be- they had beaten the Rams in the regular season that year at the end of the year to clinch a playoff spot, just like he had done in 71, and then they lost to the Rams um, – in what would turn out to be Sonny Jurgensen's final game, he came in and did not perform very well in his final game. But what I was thinking of was the game the following season that cost him a playoff berth, which was the Mel Gray catch game in St. Louis. Because that they did not go they didn't go to the playoffs in 75. They didn't go in 77 either his final year, but the, he but the, the, the Mel Gray, you know, no catch, which was ruled a catch cost him a playoff berth that year. Well, right. In the end, um, you're right. It's a major reason they didn't make the playoffs. That that loss in itself didn't knock them out of the, the no, playoffs. No, no, no. It wasn't but, the last game of the year, right. Right, right. But, oh, that was – I mean, even by today's standards, that would not have been a catch. Yeah. I mean, that ball was knocked out of Mel Gray before his, before his feet <laughs> even hit the turf. It, it wasn't even so, close, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was not a catch. And for them to – 
for the officials to even confer after that play and decide whether it was a catch or not. I mean, that was ridiculous. That was another play that if that if, um, instant replay had existed at the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would have easily been overturned. There were several bad calls that went against the Redskins during that. They had a bad loss to the uh, – to the Raiders in overtime. Yeah, there was that that very season. There were several bad it, it calls. Was, that I think against. it was the next game, or maybe two games later, something like that. Right, there was a really bad stretch. Um, they had several those two overtime games: the Cardinals and the Raiders. And there was a third overtime game that they played in. Oh, they beat the um, Cowboys. They beat the Cowboys in overtime yeah. that year. Yeah, that was their first overtime game. It was the second year right. of the overtime rule. But in 74, they didn't play an overtime game. In 75, they played three of them in the second year. Right. And they, and, and, uh, you know, they beat the Cowboys on the Kilmer sneak after the, the Houston interception in overtime. And then, you know, they lost to the Cardinals on the Mel Gray catch that tied it. And then, like you said, the Raiders with Stabler and, and, you know, that whole great Raiders team came to RFK and, and won in overtime. And, oh, that uh, was. That was a mighty team, yeah. Oh yeah. Bland to kick the uh, the uh, Bland to kick the, the overtime. Over. Yeah. I think the seventy five team was an excellent team and actually one of the better offensive teams of the Allen era, but they just had those close controversial losses that kept them from the postseason. All right, let's uh take a break and when we come back we will move forward towards how it all came to an end for George Allen in D.C. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. So let's, right. let's fast forward to the end, 77. They actually played really well down the stretch. They would have been a real, you know, son of a you-know-what to to beat had they made the postseason. I'll never forget it. It was Jack Pardee, Chicago Bears, in like an ice storm that ended up winning a game to get to the postseason against the Giants in the Meadowlands. If the Giants had won the game, Washington would have gone to the postseason, and I think they would have been a tough out. But that was it. How did it come to an end? During that 77 season, Edward Bennett Williams offered Allen a contract extension. And um, I, I'm sorry, this was uh, prior to the 77. So, but Allen never signed the extension. So months dragged on. The season comes to an end. 
they start some real serious talks again. Allen wanted uh, the stock option in the contract, the stock option that we referred to earlier. Right. He wanted that in the contract. Williams re- uh, refused to do that. Also, Williams, uh, in that four-year extension, was, was going to he was going to pull some of Allen's uh, responsibility. I don't think Allen would any longer be the general manager on that team. He, uh, Williams did not want him to have that, that authority anymore. Okay. Now, while all of this was happening, Chuck Knox left the Rams right. in LA. He got the Buffalo Bills job and he wasn't fired. He just, he just walked out. I don't think Carol Rosenblum uh, cared for him anymore because they were losing in the playoffs uh, every year. So, uh, Knox couldn't get them to the Super Bowl. So he walked after the 77 season. So that job was open. So, as I wrote in the book, Allen and his wife, Etty, wanted to go back to L.A. They still had their house in Palos Verdes Estates, which they had purchased in the 60s. It, it was a uh, ritzy neighborhood um, or, or suburb, suburb of Los Angeles. They still had that house. They wanted to go back there and... That is a major reason why Allen never signed that contract extension with the Redskins. Now, to call over the years, that has been called a firing. I don't think that is the right way to characterize that that whole sequence. Uh, Williams had offered him a contract extension. Allen just never signed it. So Williams finally said, um, uh, I've given him unlimited patience, and he's exhausted it. It's kind of a play on words of what Williams said uh, in 71. So... um, Williams just said, that's enough. You know, no longer am I offering you this, this extension. It's over with. Uh, we're going to look for another coach. So, and that's when they hired Pardee. But Allen, at the same time, I mean, he, he was out of work for a few days, but that's when Rosenblum hired him as the Rams coach. So what you're saying is that he entered that season perhaps knowing that it would be his last season. And that they wanted to go back to L.A. if the opportunity. But but you also mentioned the stock option opportunity. What if Edward Bennett Williams had given him the stock option for equity? Would he? Hey, st- I would. I would. I would think he likely would have stayed in Washington. Okay. Because it, because the, the uh, franchises were much more lucrative at the time. I mean, it was much different than 1971. Sure. The league was signing major contracts with the, with the TV networks. Right. It wasn't like it is today, but it was still a lot of money back then. So the Redskins franchise would have been worth a lot more than if Allen had bought into it in 71. That 5% stock option, I mean, he would have uh, had a had tremendous uh, return on, because of the Redskins' oh value God, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Allen never included the stock option. Um, and Allen really no longer had Jack Kent Cook's ear at that time either. I spoke to Bruce about this because uh, I don't think uh, Cook wanted him to have the stock option either. And by the way, that was the same stock option that Vince Lombardi had in 69. I mean, do you know what it was Cook. for? Like what percentage of the team it was for? Yeah, it was 5, 5%. 5% of the team. Wow. 5% of the team, which, which still would have been a lot of money. Oh, my I mean, God, yeah. The, the return on that. Yeah. So, but but Williams never included the stock option in the contract extension and Allen just said, "The hell with it. We're, we're going to L.A." Uh, no, I, Allen had decided that before the seventy seven okay. season. He decided it. it after seventy seven. When Knox left the Rams' coaching job, and when he took the Bills' job, that's when that job was open. So, I mean, everything was like uh, you know, 
everything was coming together at the same time. It was a confluence of uh, a number of different circumstances. So why didn't, I mean, he got hired by Carol Rosenblum to return to L.A., and then, like, it never made it through preseason, right? He was, Rosenblum fired him after two preseason games. (laughs) Okay. Uh, there were players from the very, there were players from the very beginning, such as Isaiah Robertson. Yeah, uh, he was the most outspoken. But Pat Hayden didn't want him either, um, and neither did Fred Dreyer. Fred Dreyer, the uh, he was a really good Rams defensive end at the time. Uh, later, the actor, um, he wanted Coriel to coach that Rams team because they have the defense. They had some really good players. They had uh, Young Blood. They had uh, Jack uh, Hacksaw Reynolds. Um, Isaiah Robertson. Uh, so they had a very good Rams defense, but on offense, under Knox, they were a very, very conservative offense. They were they were like a three yards in a cloud of dust right. offense. Yeah. So uh, Dreyer approached a Roosevelt and said, listen, you sign Coriel, and we'll score 50 points a game. That will, We'll win a Super Bowl. All you need to do is sign on Coriel. And Coriel had been Dreyer's coach at San Diego State. So not only did he know of him from uh, you know Coriel's speech with the with the Cardinals, but he knew what he could do in, in um, at the college level. So Dreyer wanted Rosenblum to uh, to hire Coriel. The Rams would have had to relinquish a first round draft pick to get him. Okay, Rosenblum didn't want to do it, so instead they hired Allen, which you know on paper was a you know kind of a strange hiring because Allen was a defensive minded coach too. Right, but. Rosenblum wanted wanted Allen's game plan for beating the Cowboys, who the Rams were losing to in the playoffs year after year. Right. Yeah. So uh, they were also losing to the Vikings and the Vikings, the Vikings too. Yeah. Season. So Coriel goes to the Chargers at that point, right? Uh, it doesn't when Allen comes back to the Rams, and that starts his run with the Chargers, which ironically Correct. is where Gibbs ends up, and then you know. Um, Party replaces, uh, you know, Allen in D.C., his, you know, former middle linebacker. So they the players revolted, and so Rosenblum fires Allen, and that's it? Did he have to pay him? Yeah. Uh, he pay him, pay him the rest of his contract. Uh, but, yeah, there was a revolt among the players. It wasn't only the revolt that started at the beginning, but it, it really simmered in training camp. I mean, these players were were, were so – angry at Allen's long practices. And you got to think, I mean, the players were gaining more power at the time. They didn't have the power that they have today. They didn't have, you know, free agency didn't exist like, like it does today. But they were gaining more power. It wasn't like the 60s. Allen was holding these three-hour practices in the Southern California heat over the summer. The players didn't like it. Uh, Allen also had this no-water policy. Yeah, and I mean, that was actually dangerous. Yeah, of course. So that was crazy. Yeah. He was not the only coach that did that. No, I mean, they, 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 were giving, they were giving players salt tablets. Think about how nuts that is. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I referred to that. But uh, back in the 60s, Allen could get away with that. He could not get away with it. Yeah. At the time, the team doctor approached Allen saying, listen, you can't do this. I mean, players are going to you know, get heat stroke or whatever. So they lost their first two exhibition games. The, um, the offense was basically non-existent in both games. And so... Rosa Bloom and his son Steve approached him after the second exhibition game and fired him. Uh, one interesting anecdote that I, I wrote about is a story that, that Dreyer told me about after the first exhibition game. Um, Dreyer said that Allen called him and Youngblood into the end zone after one of the practices, and Allen said, listen, 
uh, hey guys, you know, I just traded Isaiah Robertson to the Packers, and, and Dreyer and Youngblood looked at each other and they said, can he do that? Allen did not have the authority to make trades like that, okay? But in the end, no trade was consummated. I get, word probably got back to the Rams' front office that Allen had contacted them. Oh, and yeah. and so there was no trade. But but that was something else that, if true, I think led to Allen's firing. Now, a reporter for one of the Southern California newspapers at the time, uh, Doug Krikorian, told me that that story was not true. He said, uh, uh, maybe I have dementia today, but, but I don't remember that story happening. <laughs> I mean, I wrote seven stories. I wrote seven stories about that team every week. But uh, that is a story that Fred Dreyer told me. He said, they... Alan said, I have just traded Isaiah Robertson to the Packers. I'll tell you what, there there's so many stories about him. I mean, he kicked up a lot of dust, you know, as he went through all these places. Um, and he was a character. Uh, this is awesome. Just... You know, I, I I mean, I could go on forever. I've already taken up way too much of your time. But oh, yeah. overall, like what, you know, we didn't talk about, you know, him with, you know, hiring of Marv Levy and creating a special teams coach for the first time in NFL history. What is his legacy? Is it more as – was he a true innovator in the sport? He was an absolute innovator. And um, he was uh, – he introduced schemes on on defense, and he made special teams special. I mean, he introduced the uh, the nickel the and nickel, dime yep. pass coverages on defense. Uh, he had these cr- creative blitz packages that other coaches hadn't seen before. Um, and on special teams, he was the he wasn't the first coach to hire a special teams coach. By the way, he hired Vermeil in '69, the same year that the Eagles hired uh, Levy as, uh, Got it. as their special teams okay. coach. But he took special teams to another level. Uh, previously, it was kind of like special teams was this was this aspect of the game that you know players or coaches would say, "Hey, run on the field, let's get this over with." But Allen, Allen really, you know, he added a a special touch um, to that phase of the game. Uh, case in point, that block punt that he had in the '67 win over the Packers, that late season win, that eventually. Um, played a major role in that Rams team getting into the playoffs. I mean, he put so much emphasis on special teams. And even in, um, you know, in 76 when they got into the playoffs, Malinchuk. he called Bill Malinchuk, yeah. right? He called him up. A, Malinchuk was a commodities broker on Wall Street, and he was retired as an NFL player at the time. So Allen said to him, listen, I want you to come back in. You're going to play like the last three games of the year for us, and you're going to do something special. So sure enough, Malinchuk blocked Danny White's punt in that season-ending game against the Cowboys, the game that got the Redskins into the playoffs as a wild-card right. game that year. Yeah, yeah, with, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the season finale, and then they got absolutely blown out by the Vikings um, uh, in the postseason. Uh, this was awesome. Uh, I'm really happy for you. I, I, I wish you the best of luck with the book. George Allen, A Football Life. Get it wherever you get a book. You know, get it at Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it's Mike Richmond, and if you're, you know, of a certain age, and that that's your first teams that you remember, like they are for me. Um, I bet you it's incredible. I mean, we didn't even get into USFL or Long Beach State or, you know, any of the rest of his life. Uh, but I'm sure it's a phenomenal book. Congrats and, and best of luck, Mike. Thank you so much, Kevin. I, I really, really enjoyed the discussion. Uh, loved your questions. And uh, and like I said, uh, I, I knew you and I were going to have a blast in this conversation. Thank you, Mike. Take care. 
Thank you very much. You take care as well. I enjoyed that with Mike. I hope you did as well. Again, the book, George Allen, A Football Life, and you can get a signed copy at MikeRichmondJournalist.com. All right, back on Monday. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.